Change is situational. Transition, on the other hand, is psychological. Without a transition, a change is just a rearrangement of the furniture. Unless transition happens, the change won't work because it doesn't take. A quote from one of the key influences of our work, William Bridges, in his book, Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes. This is Endings for Beginnings. The podcast to help leaders begin planning for a better ending. The thing that I constantly get from people is this guilty giggle. You say, oh, I'm interested in what it looks like to end an organisation well, and people are like, you can't say that. So much of this work for us came from that systemic lens. We cannot see any of these things in isolation. Oh, phew. Okay, great. Well, that's fine. It's not something we need to think about right now. However, we think entirely the opposite. Having sort of escaped the overall ending, perhaps not then acknowledging all the many other endings that will still have happened. Your language is really simple and I really admire your language. I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers. And I'm Alison Lucas. In doing this work, we always hoped Endings for Beginnings would be a start. The start of a conversation, the start of something new for endings in organisations. We've done so much since we first wrote our article and published it, created a podcast and launched our website. As you've heard in our most recent podcast, In Conversations, our work has been helping organisations attend to endings, facilitating brighter beginnings. Recent statistics from the Gallup State of the Workplace report in 2020 show nearly one in three people who had a job at the time of the pandemic say they lost their job or business because of the coronavirus situation translating to just over 1 billion adults. Here in the UK, the furlough scheme, supporting millions of staff in businesses and organisations, has ended after 18 months. And at varying rates and with various blends of home and office-based working, Lizzie and I and many of our clients are making shifts again to a new pattern of work and commute. And that includes us. Ali and I are very much looking forward to seeing each other in person again, And we've actually been using our four pillars of reality, emotions, accomplishments and ritual to prepare for this transition to moving around, travelling around, commuting again, sharing with each other what this means for us and how we feel about it. And that's also led us to think about what the shifts in our work and travel mean for those closest to us and how they might feel about it. As we've said many times, there is a myriad of possibilities in the endings we can pay attention to in service of better beginnings. In this episode of Endings for Beginnings, we're exploring some of those and enjoying the opportunity to expand our thinking in conversation with the brilliantly inspiring Iona Lawrence. Iona Lawrence is the co-founder of the Stewarding Loss Project and former director of the Joe Cox Foundation. She is a fellow Endings activist and we are thrilled to be in partnership with her. So welcome, Iona, and thank you for being with us. Mm, Thank you for having me. So what led you to create Stewarding Loss? It is a project that was established by a woman called Cassie Robinson, who was frustrated with the fact that endings are tended to so 
like inadequately compared to perhaps other stages in any organization's life cycle, particularly for instance, the beginning. And so I joined her at the beginning of 2020 to do some research into what the kind of existing practices in the charity sector, but also nonprofits more broadly around uh, organizational endings, specifically at that stage, closures and mergers. And what started before the pandemic as quite a small project, then found itself in the middle of this big moment of loss that sort of COVID came along and marked. And so what the work has since expanded into is a wider inquiry into what a loss-centred or loss-centric approach to organisational management and leadership could look like, by which I mean we spend a lot of time imagining growth at all points in an organisation's life cycle. Uh, Funders, partners, and often beneficiaries uh, will often be asking you, what's the next stage? What does growth look like? What, how are you going to expand? Are you looking for more staff? And a lot of energy is poured into leadership that encourages and supports and purports that growth. And I believe personally that growth at all costs uh, isn't actually what the world needs. And it's certainly not what non-profits, I believe, need to do if they're really focused on impact impact doesn't necessarily just like look like a bigger headcount and a bigger budget. Um, it looks like rooting yourself in your mission and focusing as a charity in particular on the kind of needs of your beneficiaries. And that doesn't need to necessarily purport growth. So we're interested in a quite expansive, sometimes a bit difficult to get your head around way, a world where we spend time thinking about and stewarding endings and loss alongside growth. And the only other thing I'll say, I used to run, as you mentioned in your introduction, the Joe Cox Foundation, which I set up in memory of my friend Joe Cox, the MP. And I, at the time we set the organisation up, um, had the instructions from her family to set up an organisation that was going to close. It was five years. We had a, an initial endowment of £2 million from a crowdfunder. I've thought a lot about the period that I led the foundation and have reflected on the, an organisation that has a sense of its life and its purpose and knows when its time will come. I had the pleasure and privilege of have, using that to really focus the minds of the people that we were working with. Um, and I also didn't have to do some of the things that take up a lot of time for chief execs. So I didn't have to fundraise, which I don't know many charity chief execs who didn't have to do that. But equally, we also knew that we were going to close and therefore all of our work had to be about embedding and catalyzing energy and growth in our networks and partnerships. It was never about making ourselves famous. And that gave us a huge sense of purpose. And it's not for every organisation. There are some organisations for whom that's not going to be the way that they achieve their goal. But for us, and the reason I came to this stewarding loss work with uh, the kind of perspective I have is because I had the privilege of running an organisation that had this very clear sense of of its own cycle and that the ending that we were preparing for was five years away and that that gave us huge clarity, huge purpose. And I think at the time gave us a lot of um, a, a really clear ability to know what we were for. When I was thinking about talking to you earlier and thinking about the phrase stewarding loss I was playing with and looking at lots of different definitions and what you've just described in terms of how you took that invitation to know that you were going to close the the Joe Cox Foundation right from the beginning was stewarding careful and responsible managing of something entrusted to your care and loss the feeling of grief after looking after something of value 
And listening to your energy and the power of that story really brings home for me those two words that you and Cassie chose to use to describe this movement you've started. Yeah, absolutely. We do struggle with language quite a lot because for some people, stewarding loss is a space and a place and a language that they feel very comfortable in. But for other people, I had a conversation the other day um, with a very kind of prominent non-profit leader. He's led multiple large national organisations. And he said how difficult he finds it. He was like, endings, endings in and of themselves, you know, it puts so many people's hackles up and, and, and puts their backs up and they don't want to talk about it. And I think one of the things that we struggle with a lot is where is the right language that invites people into this work, that gives people enough of a sense of what we're going to talk about, but not so much that it triggers the things that we sell society and culturally have about our relationships to loss and endings because for, there's very good and deep-rooted reasons why people don't want to talk about organisational endings but they're very happy to talk about organisational beginnings. And so I like stewarding loss but do I think that our vision, which is for a civil society or a charity sector or non-profits to kind of navigate endings throughout a life cycle of an organisation rooted in best practice and it kind of is imbued across all governance and strategic decision-making... If we really genuinely want to speak to every charity and non-profit leader and staff member in the country and volunteer, is stewarding lost the language to meet them with? I don't know, but that's a question we're holding. I think it, it, that ties in so neatly, actually, with one of the things we were, we'd love to talk to you about today, which is what the connections are between your work and our work. There, there are a lot of them. You know, like you, for us, there's something really important about acknowledging loss as a fact, something real that will happen as part of life, as part of work, as part of progress. And it's interesting, so we had a lot of conversations, as you can imagine, around language as well. What in terms of our wording then, were there things that resonated with you or that felt most connected to when you looked at our work? Yeah, first and foremost, your use of sort of endings for beginnings or endings to beginnings, that kind of focus not on endings for ending's sake but endings as part of cycles of change and challenge the second would be your language is really simple and I really admire your language perhaps even more than I admire ours so some of our language is it can get quite metaphorical so a lot of the ways that people find to discuss uh, this sort of stuff can often be quite ecological which for some people they really enjoy thinking about you know patterns in nature and how you map them across patterns in you know human relationships and it, it unlocks things for some people but for other people it can be quite confusing and distracting and I really admire your ability to make sometimes quite abstract or theoretical concepts very kind of accessible for people and then the third is, and this is perhaps not just a reflection on your language, but also more broadly on the way you think. And the thing that really struck me when I first encountered your work and someone, I think, tweeted at me saying, have you seen this stuff, um, was your commitment to and your ease with combining the different aspects of what endings or good endings look like. And that's something that we really believe is very important, because if you look at our sector, the charity sector or the non-profit sector or civil society, whatever you want to call it, there is often 
the kind of provision for endings can very much focus on the technical or the practical. So if you go onto an infrastructure group's or, um, website or you uh, secure advice, it's often kind of legal or, or quite technical. It can often cover the kind of financial considerations. But what we heard time and again as we've done the research and, and built the work that we've been building over the last couple of years is that time and again, people acknowledge that if you just focus on those, like what it takes to literally turn the lights off in an organisation, you miss very critical other components of what a good ending looks like. And some of those are emotional. Some of those are around stories. Some of those are around the legacy and the remnants of an organisation, which is mu as much a programming thing as it is a narrative or a story thing. The thing that really struck me when I first landed on your website and, and got to understand your work a bit better is that you, like us, believe that it's the weaving together of all of the different tracks that are essential for a good ending. And if we just tend to the practical or the technical, or even if we just tend to the emotional, then you're leaving so much else out that you will end up tripping over. And, and certainly you can see the destruction of bad endings sort of written all over the sector, I think. There's so much in there that I think was part of our early conversations, Ali, wasn't it? We knew that if we were going to do this work and we were going to encourage people to get the value that we know you get from fully turning towards this, we knew that people would know it was important. We knew that people would know that it mattered. And we and our experience was that people tended to, if they turned to it at all, turn to it with, with their fingers over their eyes or sort of half turning their head and... And everything in what you've just said is what we were trying to achieve, which is a process for fully attending towards every aspect of the ending in order to release something. As Lizzie said, there is so much in what you have just said, Iona. And I was really struck by a phrase you used about weaving everything together and everything having a place. And when you were telling the story of how you joined Stewarding Loss and the big moment of loss that was... COVID. I'm wondering what particular types of losses have organisations that you support in that civil society in the charity sector, what's been your experience of the sort of losses that they have been witnessing and attending to? Um, the work that we set out to do, the work that stewarding loss is first and foremost committed to, are to support organisational endings. And so if we take that to start with... Um, like many sectors, the the non-profit sector saw COVID arrive and sort of took a sharp intake of breath. Um, and that was partly because the work that so many non-profits do, essentially phones went off the hook, right? And the statistics said that within six months of the pandemic, there had been a 70% increase in requests for support and services to charities across the board. So A, it increased pressure and demand. B, it obviously altered the way that people did that work. So you saw organisations digitally transform overnight where needed, but also organisations struggled to do that as they looked to try and get services and support online. But also, this was all in a context where particularly organisations who might perhaps require funding on retail, some of the largest household names lost 
a million quid a week from lost retail. But equally, people weren't doing community fundraising. And so demand was going up and funding was going down. And so there was this prognosis very quickly reached by both infrastructure organisations and senior leaders in the charity sector that this was going to spell the end for lots of organisations. And we all sort of thought, well, this is it. At some point, this big crescendo of ending was going to happen going to happen we were going to fall off a cliff edge and that we were going to see hundreds if not thousands of organizations close overnight so we moved very quickly to publish a a set of resources that reflect a lot of the things that you've published which were essentially intended to support organizations who were likely to have to close very imminently and for lack of lots of things that I believe are needed in order to do this stuff well we thought let's get some stuff down on paper that blends what we have heard and understood is best practice when it comes to endings so that those people for whom they're not they've not got time or on their sides can at least have some sort of practical support um and then we waited and we waited and I have to say organizations aren't closing and I think it's interesting because that means that lots of people in the sector then say oh phew Charities aren't closing. Okay, great. Well, that's fine. It's not something you need to think about right now. However, we think entirely the opposite. We think that closures will come. We think it's less likely to be this cliff edge that people have talked about, where you go from having very few organisations closing to lots of organisations closing. And instead, you have this slow decline into kind of insolvency or... um, or kind of closure and that we as stewarding loss with our commitment to believing that endings need to be done well in order for the whole sector to be healthy we see this as a moment for everyone who has a stake in this to get their ducks in a row so our work for the moment is very focused on uh, you know trying to influence the way funders might be preparing for what we see as this kind of looming kind of slow burn of closure that will be coming down the line and what can they do support their grantees and their kind of people and their partners and also just having conversations about it because still even to this day despite people often saying this work is very good and it's so needed we do need to think much more carefully about what endings look like and how how we do them well in the sector nonetheless the thing that holds us all back and the thing that I constantly get from people is this kind of sort of guilty giggle you say oh I'm interested in what it looks like to end an organization well and people are like, you can't can't say that because the stigma and the taboo around endings is so present and so we also just want to use this time to sort of surface the conversation so to provoke people and get people more comfortable with the idea that endings are as you said a kind of a matter of fact they will happen to many organisations and the more comfortable we are about talking about it the better we are at anticipating it and the better we are at anticipating it the more time and the more kind of resource often we'll have on our side in order to do it well. So we've talked about time getting in the way in terms of attending to endings we've talked about tools getting in the way and not having the right ones or the most useful ones getting in the way and there's something so interesting there in that moment of oh phew the organisation isn't going to close where having sort of escaped the overall ending, perhaps not then acknowledging all the many other endings that will still have happened as, and will be ongoing as part of the life cycle of an organisation, whether it does continue or not. So what, as you're trying to send that message to organisations, are your headlines around the impact of not attending to endings 
and the benefits of doing so. The costs of it are incredibly wide-reaching. If you just go about the ending, you're not thinking about legacy. Where does the work that has been done continue to live? And what are the remnants of this organisation going to look like once the organisation itself has closed? Someone described it to me as being flushed down the loo, you know, decades worth of organisational work just disappears overnight and you don't get, um, even just through doing anything from telling the story of your work through to thinking about whether there are organisations you partner with or merge with or or hand over programmes to that could then continue the work. And in continuing it, make sure that the person who follows in your footsteps doesn't have to recreate the wheel and start from the beginning. And so that also relates to sort of the lost learnings, the like the learnings and the insight and the expertise and the knowledge and the wisdom that's lost um, when you when you don't tend to the ending well and you don't think about legacy. You've then also got the kind of personnel challenge, which is that you can often feel when you walk into an organisation the histories and the and the stories and sometimes the traumas of the organisation, and and equally that happens when those people nonetheless have to pick up the pieces after the organisation is closed and then move on into new jobs or new communities. And they carry with them that bad ending. They carry with them the confrontation that might have happened, the trauma that came up when the, the ending wasn't handled well the, and all of the uncertainty. And that's just not good. We need experienced, high-quality talent at the best of its game, having been treated well, to then go out and armed with all of the knowledge that they've had from that organisation that's closed and take that somewhere new. Um, and so we need to be making sure that we're doing the right thing by people so that we don't end up burning people out or forcing them to leave the tractor sector or them staying in and then just going on to new organisations carrying that baggage. Um, And then also there's also because it's complicated closing an organisation down. Turning off the lights is not just turning off the lights. It's navigating quite complex reams of charity commission advice and regulatory guidance. And that's just the lot. And even though a lot of the support that's out there is often to to help people navigate those processes, you often find organisations not having done the right things. They might have burnt all their records and in doing so they haven't kept things for the seven years that you're required to do so and then people end up on the wrong side of the law. I think the quote that came up through the research that we did um, particularly through last year was um, that time and again bad endings aren't just bad for the immediate organisation or the immediate environment it's bad for the sector. As someone said this is structural, this is systemic. If if we don't tend to endings well, like the sector will continue to be challenged by our inability to steward those endings well. I love the way that you phrase those three, the, the, the legacy piece in terms of the whole organisation and that, that personal baggage that people carry forward when they need to be free from all of that to be able to give their best and then that complication of, of really turning out the lights. And I think so much of this work for us came from that systemic lens of we cannot see any of these things in isolation. They are actually about how the whole system is is impacted from the person that follows, the organisation that follows, into where you're actually going forward yourself. So, Iona, one of the um, questions which actually arose from the first podcast, because Lizzie admitted that she did have a favourite pillar, um, and then I think that I might have also now admitted that I have a favourite pillar as well, um, was that we've asked all the people that we've been interviewing, 
what their favourite pillar is. So, Iona, do you have a favourite? It's a typical politician's answer. I'm going to not quite answer your question and say that the thing that really struck me is the way that you see endings as multifaceted and therefore it's not really about you know if if I was working as we do um, in partnership with an organization who's anticipating or beginning to design or think about an ending and I said the thing you really need to worry about is rituals but let's let's not worry about the emotions we'd end up falling flat on our face and so the thing I admire most about your work is that across all of your four pillars you're able to support people to navigate or steward an ending and and that ending might be something relatively incremental in an organization's life cycle like the transition into a in the charity sector for instance a transition away from uh, just an initial seed funder to a kind of wider set of funders or it might be a new brand as I heard the other day from um, uh, an organization that they'd chosen to kind of mark the ending of the kind of initial founding brand and into the second might be the ending of a chief exec like a founding chief exec's leadership those incremental endings as much as the bigger ones need to be tended to with all possibilities in the round and therefore your ability to create four pillars that help people navigate those endings in all of their lights is the thing that is most valuable about the work that you've done so far. And even though we say we have favourites, the truth is we completely agree with you. That's why they, <laughs> that's why they all exist. I now lo- no longer have a favourite and now it is the whole thing in the round. What are your hopes? What do you hope the impact or the future will be for individuals and organisations paying more attention to endings and loss? The best and probably most concrete way of describing this is to draw parallels between what you see at the beginnings of an organisation's life cycle. At the moment, if I had an idea or an organisation I wanted to set up, you have established pathways, you have funders that will provide seed funding, you have you know, you Google, how do I set up an organisation and anything from how to register for a charity through to how to find your first trustees, through to how to think about your brand, um, are all there. You've got leadership programmes, cultivating the leaders and the entrepreneurs that we need in order to build the organisations of tomorrow. You've got plans for scaling. You've got organisations, you've got funders who are, their entire purpose is to help scale organisations. Hundreds of millions of pounds a year are poured into growth. And we have none of that for the ending. If you Google, how do I close my non-profit or close my organisation... You get a page on the Charity Commission's website that just basically has this big black button that says "End my charity," and then like a, and then a a kind of a, a checklist of which you have to like click one reason why you're closing, like we have no money left or whatever, and it just just doesn't capture any of the nuance. Um, you have really expert people who can support organisations to close, but. You only know them if you know someone to ask someone in order to be put in touch with them. There aren't a sta- there's not an established field of practice with best practice and, and tools and guides and, and literature and, and competing opinions about what good looks like. It's all sort of quite subterranean. Um, and you can't point to, you know, I could tell you the 10 top tipped entrepreneurs who you know, everyone in the country thinks they're going to solve the biggest social challenges of our time. But you can't point to the 
10 diligent, careful, smart, ambitious leaders who took the brave, courageous decision to close their organisation down and then did it really carefully and with intent and afterwards have said, these are the things I'd do differently because I really didn't get those bits right. And I would love to see a world where we can redress some of that balance, where all of that that infrastructure and that knowledge and that, you know, also the kind of the the esteem that the starts of organisations are held in and apply that to the end because giving credit where credit is due. Like, I'm sure like you, I have come across extraordinary people who have done incredible things to end things well. And that's both throughout the organisation's life cycle as much as at the end. You know, there's Birmingham Impact Hub who took the decision to close a couple of years ago because, I mean they're basically their their kind of business model they didn't think worked so they closed a whole organization and re-established as something new rooted in a different way of working essentially that they thought was going to be going to put them in the place for kind of greater success and that was that took huge courage because you know their their senior team had to convince found funders who they put loads of money into them in order to do it well so like yeah could we see more organizations really asking themselves the difficult questions and not getting locked in a survival at all survival kind of at all costs mentality but equally you then look at something like the Wellcome Trust the big international funder you know leading scientific research organization in the whole world they've gone through this big strategy process and have slimmed down quite a lot of the kind of the scope of some of their work and as a result they are going to need to in the next few years lose and part ways with quite a lot of funded work and instead of doing the kind of like oh sorry about that our strategy has changed uh thank you very much for working in partnership with this grantee but this is where it ends they've designed and built an entire legacy and transition team whose entire purpose is to bring the work that needs to come to an end to an end as well as possible we need to see much more of that behaviour and we also need to see much more of that type of leadership from our, the kind of leaders in our sector in order to be the sector that we need to be, which has never been more important. In order to be at its very best, we need to be doing endings a lot better than we are now. We completely agree that it's the courageous, forward-thinking leaders who are paying attention to this. And that, well, I'm I, in terms of the legacy for our work and our continued conversations, I own. I am looking forward to us seeing that top ten googled. Yes, who did this really well? Then we will know that our work is done. <laughs> well, yes, and um, as you said at the beginning, it was a real moment of relief to find that you both existed and to know that you are having some of the same conversations and navigating the same challenges. Um, I hope that stewarding loss in and of itself is not going to last very long. We see ourselves only having a few years in us because we want to um, establish and catalyse a different way of working and some different approaches to endings and then essentially do ourselves out of a job and that therefore requires us to work in partnership with others who share our beliefs and our convictions because what we want to do is establish a stronger field of practice and be part of catalyzing that so finding fellow travellers like you is the dream because sometimes it can get exhausting trying to convince people they need to tend to this stuff and to find almost the choir, which is, I suppose, what you are. We can preach to each other and we can learn together. So I'm very glad that we stumbled across each other. Well, thank you 
fellow traveller. This has been a joyous conversation and we look forward to the next. Thank you, Iona. No, thank you very much. After looking at the bigger picture, I can be bitter or I can be better. In all things that truly matter, I have decided to choose the latter. A quote from Rene A. Lee, author of Love Bonds, The Odyssey. This is Endings for Beginnings, the podcast to help leaders begin planning for a better ending. As our conversation with Iona demonstrated, the next few weeks, months and years feel as uncertain in the world of work as the past 18 months have during this pandemic. The impact of working on endings for us has been settling in many ways and has also enabled us to plan and prepare for aspects that we and those around us are finding unsettling. Everyone is different. Everyone's work and circumstances are different. Everyone feels different. There is, in our view, no right or wrong way to feel and no expectation that how we feel is static. It's a time of transition. This means that there are endings, including some that it feels easy and feels good to acknowledge, and some that it's harder to do so. Some of those endings we may not even have noticed because they're hidden beneath the more obvious ones. When we don't fully acknowledge an ending, we can get stuck in big and small ways, in behaviour and thinking, stuck in ways that aren't helpful to us in our next phase. Using our four pillars of endings for better beginnings, reality, emotions, accomplishment and ritual, is a really useful way of fully seeing and articulating what is happening for you in order to turn more fully and or optimistically towards what comes next. In the space between chaos and shape, there was another chance. Author Jeanette Winterson in The World and Other Places. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Endings for Beginnings, the second in our series of conversations. And our thanks again to the wonderful Iona Lawrence for joining us and sharing her thoughts on endings in organisations. If you have a transition that you'd like to work through, head to our website where you'll find resources and exercises to work through at endingsforbeginnings.co.uk. This has been Endings for Beginnings, the podcast to help leaders begin planning for a better ending. I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers. I'm Alison Lucas. And this is the end of this podcast. And we hope it's just the beginning for you. Mm -hmm.